How are we leading our lives today? Do we strive to get all we can in this life? While we've got good enough health to enjoy it? Or do we worry about the many problems and dangers that exist in this world? Having employment. Having a roof over our heads. Having enough money to live now and for the future. Or do we think about our health? Do we worry about death? Or violence? Or terrorism? And at different times in our lives, we'll have different worries. Well, this afternoon we're going to look at God's Word to see the promises contained in God's Word. And we find there that we do have this promise that will give us something that we can forget about our worries and look forward to something really worth living for. So, back at the very beginning of the Bible, we find that the Almighty created the world as a perfect paradise. Adam and Eve had no worries, no strife, no pain. They didn't have any fear. And they lived life to the full, as long as they obeyed the simple command that came from the Lord God. But we find that Adam and Eve began to desire things rather than to show their obedience to the Almighty. And they ate from the fruit from which they'd been forbidden. And so they fell under the condemnation of death. And that's true for each one of us today. So then, are we destined to live our lives gaining what happiness we can and what material possessions we can until eventually we perish from off the face of this earth. If so, then the outlook is pretty bleak. We work until we are 65 or so and then when the best of our vitality has been used up we are left with the few interests that we can manage. And for some people, even retiring from their work leaves them in a state of not having anything to live for. Well, this afternoon we're going to look at God's Word and hopefully we'll see that God has provided us with an interest, a living interest, which is available to everyone. First, we've got to consider our own purpose in the world. Is it merely to eat and work and sleep and produce children to maintain the human race? If so, then we are no different from the animals. And we might as well eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But no, this isn't the case. We've been put here to please God. In Scripture, we find that God made the earth and all the forms of life that are in it. And he made man superior to all the other forms of life. With the sole object of having this world become a beautiful, 
and peaceful place where there's no suffering, where there's no sin, no wars, no fear, and no death. But as we've already mentioned, from the first man, Adam, we've failed to live up to the Lord's standard. Man has always tried to acquire wealth and materials, possessions and places, and he continually forgets that it is by God's grace that everything is provided. And so all the problems that we have in the world around, around us arise from this. So man is condemned to die because he ignored God's purpose and man is not fit to live forever. However, in the scriptures we find that eternal life is still offered to each of us if we will make the effort to find what God wants us to do. So, this afternoon, let's start by looking at Luke and chapter 10. In Luke 10, we find someone asking God's Son, Lord Jesus, about eternal life. And we're going to start reading verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. This chap was a, an expert in the law. He knew his Old Testament and from the law of Moses. But he comes and asks Jesus about this question, perhaps to test or try him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Maybe he hoped that Jesus would say that he was doing enough already. But Jesus made the questioner give his own answer verse 26 again what is written in the law how do you read it the man answered love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself and Jesus continues do this and you will live And these words of Jesus are just as true today. But how many people believe that loving the Lord God can lead to an eternal life of happiness? And yet in the scriptures, Jesus tells us time and time again that this is our only hope, to be God's will. Otherwise, we have nothing to live for. If we look up the dictionary at the origins of the word religion, we find it comes from the Latin word relegare, meaning to bind or bind again. 
And that's what religion should mean to us. Our binding back to God. If we look back to Genesis, God created the first man, Adam, and he was close to God. But after his sin regarding the eating of the fruit, Adam and his offspring were condemned to death. And we, as offspring of Adam, come under the same condemnation, that is death. But God hasn't left it this way. He has provided a way out for each one of us. He sent his only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus, to so show us how we should live our lives now and how we can attain eternal life. Just listen to these words from John in chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, our religion, our binding back to God, isn't a simple thing. It's not like buying a season ticket for the football, so that when we tire of it, then we don't bother going. It's not like joining a library and only taking a book out when there's nothing on TV. The Almighty has given us the opportunity to overcome our own natural sinfulness. But we have to choose. We can go on living our lives as they are, and then when we die, we return to the dust. Or we can choose to enter a new and interesting way of life, where there is something to live for. And it is our choice. In the New Testament, we find that the Lord Jesus led a sinless life and yet was condemned by his contemporaries and he was put to death on the cross. But from this, we have the guarantee of God's purpose with us in that Jesus was raised from the dead. And through him, we have the removal of the condemnation of eternal death, which was passed to Adam and to his seed. Providing, that is, we readily accept the offer of life on his terms. Let's go to the chapter that Norman read, Romans chapter 8. We'll read from the beginning of this chapter. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, 
God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Yes, this condemnation of death has been removed if we are in Christ Jesus and do not walk according to the sinful nature. But what does Paul mean in these words, being in Christ Jesus? Well, let's, we're going to come back to Romans 8, but let's turn back to chapter 6. And we find here that baptism into the saving name of the Lord Jesus is essential for salvation. And the baptism that we read of here is by complete immersion, not uh, the sprinkling of babies or adults with water. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him, like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Like coming back to Romans chapter 8, Let's continue reading where we left off. Verse 6. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Paul stresses that if we are living for our own selfish ends, then we have no hope of eternal life. In effect, we have nothing to live for. And jumping down to verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So we see in these verses that we come back to where we came in with Adam. Adam was a son of God as long as he was obedient to the Father's wishes. When he rebelled, he ceased to be a son. He was, in effect, disinherited. 
and so we too are with him. Through Christ, however, we can again become sons of God. And if sons, then heirs to the kingdom of God. Verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And it's perhaps a bit difficult to appreciate what's being offered here. But we learn from the scriptures that the kingdom of God is to be set up on this earth at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message is that we can become heirs of that kingdom. Now surely that is something worth living for. But will it be as easy as believing in the Lord Jesus and being baptised? No, there will be trials as we walk towards that kingdom. And Paul mentions these in verse 18. Paul suffered physically and mentally more than most. And yet he could still write in that verse, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But if we do have trials, then we are comforted in the knowledge that the Almighty does have a real interest in us. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And we really do need the intercession of the Lord Jesus. Because the simple answer to the question in verse 31, if God is for us, who could be against us, is that we can be our own worst enemies. It's so easy to become spiritually weak, to forget God's will, and to put our own desires first. And if it weren't for Jesus' intercession, we would surely fail. But he is there, ready to intercede for each one of us when we realise our mistakes. We'll keep a finger in Romans 8. Uh, and let's turn to Luke's Gospel and chapter 21. 
In this chapter, in Luke 21, Jesus tells some of his disciples about the events which will lead up to the time of his return. How there will be wars, rumours of wars, and a time of trouble that has never been before. And Jesus says in verse 34, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly, like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always in the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Yes, we all have to watch. For not only do we not know exactly when the Lord Jesus will return, but neither do we know when we will die. And after death, it's too late to make up our minds. However, the good news is that if we heed the scriptures and we are well prepared and we have been baptised, then we shall have nothing to fear. Once we have accepted God's invitation to participate in his plan for all of us to inherit eternal life, that, that is, once we have been baptised into Christ's saving name, then we really do have something to live for. Something that is lasting. Something that is positive. A portion and a place in God's kingdom on earth. And even if we do die before the Lord Jesus returns, our place is still assured, providing that we've tried our best to please the Almighty. Our only fear is failure which lies with ourselves. But if we do believe what the scripture says, then we shall make sure that we don't fail. And of course, that decision is left up to us. However, the Almighty's love for us is assured, as Paul writes in Romans 8. Verse 35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? 37 No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, in conclusion then, we can confidently say that if we can return that love that we've read about in some small measure, 
if we can seek out the message that is contained in the scriptures, if we can do these things, then we can put off that condemnation from Adam. And if so, then we can be sure that we really do have something worth living for.